welcome back to the Past and Present Podcast. This is your host, Kim Groves, hoping you've been having a lovely week. I also hope you had an opportunity to uh, look more deeply into our topic we talked about Monday, which is the conflation of murder and anger when it comes to obeying God's law. Oh, right, having the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Now, today, what we are going to be talking about is we're going to be completing our second uh, in our series on Noah's Ark, and we're taking a look at an article from the May-June 2005 issue of Biblical Archaeology Review by, uh, called, Was Noah's Ark a Sewn Boat? by Ralph K. Peterson. And uh, Dr. Peterson makes an interesting claim is that uh, Noah's Ark may have actually been sewn together. And when you think of something being sewn, you're thinking of a a million little holes. And and, uh, one of my hobbies is I like to sew and craft clothing and and things like that. I make pillowcases um, for my friends, for myself, for my daughter. And I've made a few pieces of clothing for both myself and, and my daughter. Uh, I'm very proud of that fact, by the way, that I can actually, you know, do that. Um, my mother, on the other hand, was a horrible seamstress, and she couldn't even put a seam in a skirt or a pair of pants. Um, so I guess that, that skill kind of skipped my mother. Uh, but apparently my grandmother on my mother's side was a skilled seamstress and actually made many beautiful dresses for her three daughters, my mother of which was one, obviously. Um, so, uh, so when I think about when I sew, I, I know I'm punching little holes in fabric. And when I think about a sewn boat, I think about the fact that I'm punching, you're going to be punching a million little holes in something in order to sew it together. And why that won't leak, I don't know. So it was very interesting to, to view this, um, article, uh, to, to, uh, take a look at the the idea that Noah's Ark may have been sown. So we discussed last week about the comparisons between the Epic of Gilgamesh and the biblical account of Noah's Ark. And we discovered that it was actually the Epic of Gilgamesh that laid the foundation for the biblical account. So, um, it, it actually, as we know, the story of Noah's Ark is best known of all the biblical tales. And please forgive me, my allergies are really uh, bad. I've been working in my garden. I was finally able to transplant my strawberries and my rose bushes into their respective beds. And uh, the pollen has not been kind. Um, let's see. So, of course, the, the Noah's Ark talks about this. The story of Noah's Ark talks about the destruction of a sinful world. And with the exception of the Titanic, perhaps, Noah's Ark may be the me- most famous vessel in history or literature. And I, I you know, you can probably chalk that up to uh, uh, a few other boats also being just as famous. Uh, but very little is actually known of its construction. There's a, just a few lines, two verses in Genesis, that contain all we know of it. And uh, the, the, in the King James Version of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 6, verses 14 through 16, it says, Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. 
and this is the fashion which thou shalt make of it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and a, in a cubit thou shalt finish it above, and the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof, with lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it. And this little passage reveals just a little beside the boat's overall dimensions, the presence of a door and a window and the use of an unknown type of wood and the application of pitch as a sealant. And when I think of pitch, I usually think of tar. And that's because I've had to seal roofs um, on, on some of my rental houses um, and we've pitched, used pitch. So uh, again, we've talked about how there's a parallel to the biblical flood story that appears in the 11th tablet of the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is the world's oldest epic poem, actually predating the uh, Beowulf. Um, so the flood story in the Epic of Gilgamesh was translated and presented to the public by George Smith in 1873 at the British Museum. So again, this, remember we talked about that it had caused like a firestorm of controversy and, and actually led to whether or not we should even pursue looking for Noah's Ark. So um, Gilgamesh's epic passage about building the vessel has been about as little understood as the biblical account. And we've translated the Gilgamesh epic in a variety of ways, stemming in part from a lack of knowledge of ancient boat construction. And, and we really don't have that many examples of ancient boat construction. Um, this development is unfortunate because the passage in the Gilgamesh epic is important not only for understanding what the biblical ark was like, but also because it is the only known detailed record, record of Mesopotamian ship construction. Now remember we talked about how Mesopotamia rose up in the land between the rivers in what is now modern Iraq, the Euphrates and the Tigris. So obviously boat construction would have been something that would have been important in Mesopotamian society to move people and goods up and down the river uh, to the Persian Gulf and beyond. Um, so aside from iconography on seals and reliefs, and a few models of varying detail, there is little physical evidence of the watercraft of Mesopotamia, as no ancient wrecks in the Persian Gulf or in Iraqi riverbeds have ever been found. We do, however, have 2,000 years of records of a boat type that was once common along the Western Indian Ocean, which is called, which is the sewn boat. So a comparison of the features of this style of watercraft to the shipbuilding account in the Gilgamesh epic clarifies the text and gives us a new understanding of how the Ark in both the Bible and the Gilgamesh epic were built. So a sewn boat is the simplest, earliest technique for building wooden boats consisting of more than one type of timber. Now, the thing with a sewn boat is that you don't need metal tools uh, to, to use it. There's no nails, there's no hammers, there's no sledgehammers, there's no iron framing like we think of in modern shipbuilding. So uh, it can be built without metal tools with softwood such as palm wood and stone and bone tools and are more than adequate for crafting it. Uh, the stone boat is essentially Stone Age technology, but it's so good that it's still in use in some parts of the world around the Indian Ocean. Uh, it's sometimes st it's stitched and sometimes called laced, although this is a misnomer as lacing is open and temporary where sewing is more permanent. 
Uh, so cl sewing closes a joint and is permanent for as long as the, as the rope itself lasts. So think of that seam on the edge of your pants being permanent until it's not. So as long as that stitching lasts, okay. Um, so today, uh, to, our, to us, the typical landlubber as it were, boats are vessels that are seemingly built first by constructing a skeleton of ribs and then nailing planks onto the structure. This is not and has not always been the case. Mediterranean watercraft were built shell first, so from the outside in, um, with planking fastened to each other's edges with mortise and tenon joinery, and the internal structure was added afterwards. So you're building it from the outside in. So you build this shell, then you set your ribs in there to keep the shape, instead of creating a shape and then adding the shell on the outside, like we think of how, how boats are constructed today. Um, so Viking ships were built shell first by fastening planks together with numerous small rivets, and Egyptian ships were constructed of a shell of planking lashed together. So this is kind of like a, an idea of a sewn boat. In the Indian Ocean and its tributaries, the Persian Gulf and the Red Sea, Boats were also built shell first and still are in some places, but with the planks stitched edge to edge, much like two pieces of cloth sewn together. So when I sew, uh, I, I'm sewing a pillowcase, for example, because that's the easiest thing to talk about. I join my two raw edges of fabric together and then I run my seam up of it and then I have a strong final sealed joint, as it were. So um, now, this method is still followed in places like Cochin in the southern Indian state of Kerala. Here, holes are fastened by cordage running through holes bored in the planking along the edges of each plank. So in other words, they'll basically drill a hole through the, the plank and then run a cord through that planking to sew it together. The stitching... Um, Inside the vessel is done in a crisscross pattern, binding the planking to get seams together. And the, the cords are derived from coconut, it's called core, and secures bundles of the planking, um, uh, secures bundles of fibers called wadding over the seams, making them waterproof. The numerous stitching holes are plugged with tufts of core, core to prevent leakage. On the hull's exterior, the stitching appears as single bands passing over the planking seams. There is little interior framing on these boats as most of their strength lies in the well-fastened shell. So if you look inside, say, an egg, there's not a, a, a tough network of things that hold the shell together. It's just held together by the strength of the shell itself. Now, whatever framing exists is lashed to the planking with the core rope. No metal nails or other such fastenings are used. Sewn craft are kept oiled and waterproofed, providing fishermen with a valuable and easily repairable boat. And that these craft continue to be built in the 21st century is a testament to their reliability, economy of construction, and to the conservative practices of local boat rights. Now, my dad, when he started his working life he actually worked in his family's boatyard and um that's not where my dad ended up he ended up having his own business as a landscaper but he worked in a boatyard and so he was very familiar he scraped barnacles with the best of them and 
And so he was quite familiar with how boats were actually constructed. We have records of similarly constructed boats extending back for 2,000 years. And until recently, sewn boats were still being built along the coasts of Yemen and Oman. In the Persian Gulf, traditional hulls were once sewn in the same manner as those in India. By the opening years of the 20th century, the method had ceased to be used in the Gulf on ocean-going craft and were reserved only for local fishing boats. Before then, sewn vessels of up to 200 tons burden sailed the Persian Gulf and Indian Ocean. And that's pretty impressive. That's a lot of weight um, on a boat that is essentially sewn together. In East Africa, sewn boats disappeared about 100 uh, years ago, but not before they were noticed by a number of Europeans. The ever-observant Sir Richard Burton, who traveled to Zanzibar in 1857, wrote about them extensively. Now, um, the Arabian dhow was the most noted and most widespread of the sewn boats. It's not a dhow is not a term used by Arabs. It's obs uh, it, because it's of an obscure origin. Was found everywhere. Arab traders sailed, trafficked, and settled around the Indian Ocean. Um, so uh, they were even seen by Marco Polo in the 13th century. Uh, he noted that they were only stitched together with twine made from the husk of the Indian nut. So this must be like a coconut. They beat this husk until it becomes like horsehair, and from that they spin twine, and with this stitch the planks of the ships together. It keeps well and is not corroded by the seawater, but it will not stand well in a storm. The ships are not pitched, but are rubbed with fish oil. And though he's not using the term pitch in the traditional sense, it is a type of pitch. You just don't call it that. So there's no reason to believe that any of these early ships differed at all from the later ones. The vessels known from art and literature share the same characteristics with the small fishing vessels of Cochin. Notab notably, the crisscross stitching pattern, the sealing and the plugging of the stitching holes. And indeed, the crisscross pattern has changed little over time and is a testament to the extreme conservatism of shipbuilders throughout the Indian Ocean literal. The stitching pattern is found on derelict sewn hulls of southern Arabia on a 19th century model of an Indian vessel and on the hull of a 9th century wreck at Bilitung Island, Indonesia. While physical evidence predating the Bilitung wreck is not forthcoming, we do have ancient accounts of sewn vessels that can be assumed to have been built in quite a similar manner. So these are not, this construction has started early and has continued because if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So obviously this is a type of a boat construction that worked very well for a very long period of time and is still used at what I'll call a local level um, in, in a lot of cases. So it's um, the survey of the sewn boats of the various areas, uh, ethnographic, iconographic, and archeological accounts reveal a set of traits common to them all. They are shell first construction, Stitching holes plugged with wooden pegs or tufts of fiber, and stitching is oiled on the interior as a preservative. And there's also an anti-fouling layer made of lime and fat applied to the exterior to prevent marine organisms from boring into the hull, undermining its integrity. Um, so these characteristics of a sewn boat construction all appear in the account of the building of the Ark in the Gilgamesh epic. Now... Um, I am not going to get into the whole details um, of in line 48 through 49 of, of the Ark's construction in the Epic of Gilgamesh, but it's 
it's very detailed in, in what, uh, how it was constructed. So I want to encourage you to look this article up and read it yourself. I'll tell you where you can find it. So I'm going to break it down into the four different aspects um, of, of the construction. First is the shell first construction. So the first few lines of the passage are kind of fragmentary, but lines 56 through 62 detail the first feature of sewn boats, the shell first construction. Uh, there is the description of the building of the ark's structure. It's stated that he lays out the, the that the vessel's shape is laid out, and and proportionality is stressed as one would expect of a boat. And then the interior is described, dividing it into levels, parts, and sections. Um, the next thing we're going to talk about is the water plugs. Now, obviously, if you're sewing something, you're especially through some kind of wood, you're going to be boring a hole. And that any place there's a hole, water can obviously get in and sink your ship. So um, no uh, major constructional features are not presented in the Gilgamesh passage. No planks, frame, stitching, or process appears. There is one construction feature that uh, was included, and this is a crucial feature. Uh, in line 63, it's related that water stoppers were hammered into it. This is very emphatically stated um, that there was care taken to include this step. And it might seem common sense, but at the same time, it's almost like a instruction manual for creating this type of boat was being written. So it could be passed down from generation to generation. On sewn boats, all the stitching holes need to be plugged or stoppered. In the late 1970s, a replica of a sewn, sewn boom named Sohar was constructed in Oman as an experiment in medieval Arabian seafaring. It was more than 60 feet long and required 400 miles of cordage to, to, to stitch the planking edges together and lash the framing to it. More than 20,000 plugs of wood were used to stop the holes created by this process. 20,000 little plugs were, were made. Each hole drilled through planking obviously undermines the water tightness of a sewn hole. And if the holes were left unstopped, or even if a few were forgotten, a sewn boat would leak. Therefore, the builder must pay careful attention to this aspect of construction. Without water plugs, or if mistakes are made, the hole will fail, causing the loss of the craft, cargo, and crew. And this seems kind of common sense, but um, as I'm, I'm kind of learning, common sense is not a flower that's growing in everyone's garden lately. The next aspect of sewn construction is oiling. In line 67, lines 67 through 69, it says, three shar of oil the basket carriers carried. Apart from the shar of oil that the oiling consumed, the shipwright stowed away two shar of oil. Now, they thought this originally was interpreted as a libation ritual for the ship and crew. However, a shar is a measure equal to about 8,000 gallons of oil, and it's too much for a christening, and the crew uh, would obviously not be anointed with 8,000 gallons of oil. Uh, so, however, in sewn boat construction, vast amounts of oil are needed. 
think about it. Oil is a water phobic, it's hydrophobic. It's going to repel water. So the cordage holding the ship together needs to be made waterproof. On all ships, no matter how well sealed, water does get inside and collects in the bilge. That's why modern boats have what we call a bilge pump. And that pumps all that bilge out. So unprotected cordage, core or otherwise, rots quickly when wet because it's biological. When it, something's biologic and it gets wet and stays wet, it rots, it molds, it rots, it disintegrates. Oil, whether coconut or vegetable, is, is used on sewn boats to seal and protect the stitching. Initially, vast amounts are needed as the dry rope work soaks up the oil like a sponge. And so if you think about it, when we are, are dampening something for the first time, like when you're watering your garden, the first time I put my plants in the ground, I, they soak up water. I mean, they're just so thirsty for this water. But every other time that I have to water, I don't need quite as much water because the, that earth has already settled around that plant. It's already kind of pre-soaked. So I don't have to water it as deeply every single time. Now, obviously, if it's, if it's gone a long time between waterings or it's been exceptionally hot or dry, then yes, it's going to soak up water. I've had my house plants and I'll bring them to the sink and I'll put them in my, my kitchen sink to water them and water will initially flow out of the, the holes with no dirt in it because the plants are just so dry. But once that soil gets wet again, then the water stops coming out of the drainage holes and it starts holding the water and I know that my plant is, is wet enough. And it's the same idea with this cordage and the oil. When you put the cordage in the oil, it's going to just soak up all that oil. So it's going to need a lot more oil at the very beginning of the process, as opposed to further on, because you're just maintenance oiling, for lack of a better word. So, um, the stitching needs to be soaked in this manner twice a year. Thus treated, the stitching will last with little degradation as long as it is periodically maintained. Modern sewn boats in Cochin, India have stitching lasting 10 years or more. So after your initial oiling, you only have to do this twice a year. And it's not going to take nearly as much oil because it's going to retain, the, the cordage is going to retain some of that oil from the initial oiling. Finally, there's the fourth thing. It's called the paying. Uh, the, that is the sealing of the outer hull. And that's also referred to in the Gilgamesh epic. Sewn hulls are traditionally paid or smeared with a substance that acts as a sealant and an anti-fouling layer. This is important for wooden hulls of all kinds, especially because the Toredo worm, which is a mollusk that plagues almost all saltwater areas, readily burrows into wood, creating tunnels and holes. If unstopped, Toredo infestation will render a ship's hull as useless as if it were built of Swiss cheese. Now, I have, I live near a beach area, and many times I'll see a piece of driftwood that'll, you know, flow up on the beach and, and during the tides. And I'll pick it up, and you'll see little holes bored in the wood that look like little tunnels. And this is the Toredo worm. And basically, it makes the, the wood very porous, and it will actually water will just flow right through it. 
Um, around the Indian Ocean, seafarers often use a paying of lime and oil to prevent this. And the lime is generally derived from burnt seashells, while the oil can be coconut, whale, fish, or shark oil, or animal fat. The substance is applied by hand and has the consistency of like ointment or Vaseline and thus you can't use a brush or a roller to put it on. But the added advantage of a hand application is that you can use your fingers to push the paying into any cracks and joints which provides extra sealant. Like the oiling inside, this outer layer also needs periodic reapplication. The use of lime oil paying is long attested. In the 9th century, builders in Siraf made paying with whale oil extracted from blubber. It was widely used from the Indian Ocean and beyond to China and the Philippines. This paying is the white paint that coats the lower halls of Arabian dowels. Although dowels are no longer sewn, the traditional paying is frequently used instead of modern paints as it's economical and effective. So again, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. A notable aspect of the paying is that festivities accompany the application of the substance because this is the final step. Sometimes this is as simple as chanting, but other times involves drinking and carousing. And this appears to be a way of alleviating the drudgery of an odious chore as the paying really stinks, particularly when made with fish or shark oil. A festival at this point might also celebrate the final stage of shipbuilding or maintenance. An example of this is found in Kenya, where traditional ships continue to be paid with a lime and fat mixture. mixture. This substance is applied to the outside of hulls by hand and is accompanied by music. So this, this aspect of sewn hull construction, along with the incumbent festivities, is also found in the Gilgamesh flood account in lines 70 through 75. I slaughtered cows for the people. I slaughtered rams daily. Beer, fine beer, oil and wine. The workers drank like river water. They made a festival like the New Year's Day. I opened, I laid my hand to the ointment. In this last sentence, that is key to understanding this final aspect. This has been interpreted in the past as opening a container and then rubbing it on his hands to soothe them after several days of hard work. While this picture is attractive, it's more likely the line refers to the ceiling of the outer hall with the paying. The parallels to this process are strong. Ointment is applied to the accompaniment of festivities. He applies an ointment, not a paint or an oil, bringing to mind the semi-viscous nature of the lime and oil mixture. And like generations of shipbuilders and sailors around the Indian Ocean, it is applied specifically by hand. In addition, the application of the ointment occurs just before the launching of the vessel, as related in the lines immediately follow. As such, it is the final step in the ark's construction, just as in as it is in the building of a sewn boat. So, indeed, all the steps of the building of the ark, the shell-first construction, the insertion of water plugs, oiling, paying, occur in the correct order for the building of a typical sewn watercraft. Thus, a previously enigmatic passage of Gilgamesh is clarified to reveal the Ark of the Flood as a common, albeit large, sewn boat whose descendants can still be found plying the seas. Unlike the Gilgamesh epic, the Genesis account contains little of how the Ark was built. Does the presence of a sewn boat in the Babylonian account mean the Genesis Ark was also sewn? If, as most scholars believe, the Jews of the Babylonian exile adapted the Babylonian flood story to their scriptures, then certainly the Jewish scribes would have relied on the Gilgamesh epic and Noah's Ark would be sown. 
But then why was the biblical version stripped down to so few details? The only shared characteristics include the large, multi-level construction and the internal and external ceiling of the vessel. It's impossible to state whether the pitch of Genesis is the same substance as either the oil or the ointment in the Babylonian account. Yet the similarity in applying a substance or substances to both the inside and the outside of the hall is striking. Well, I think that about concludes us for the day. I encourage you to look up this article. Uh, it can be found at www.baslibrary.org. And it is the May-June 2005 issue of Biblical Archaeology Review. And the article is entitled, Was Noah's Ark a Sewn Boat? by Ralph K. P Peterson. As always, I enjoy hearing from you. Uh, you can contact me at kimg at, uh, dot past and present podcast at gmail.com. And you can also find us on Facebook at... <clears throat> Rebirth Network and Rebirth Encouraged, both with a purple heart between the words, and on Twitter at at podcast underscore past. Please join us on Monday when we will be talking, uh, continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount and discussing adultery. Again, this is Kim Groves with the Past and Present Podcast, hoping that you stay blessed and unstressed and unbothered by the rest. Thank you and have a great day.